Welcome to the Respectful Divorce Podcast. If you're considering a divorce, it's important to know that you have options for how you divorce. On the Respectful Divorce Podcast, we explore those options and provide advice from divorce professionals. On today's edition of the Respectful Divorce Podcast, we're talking with members of the Connecticut Council for Non-Adversarial Divorce. Joining us today are Michael Conway, who is an attorney and president of the council, Lisa Gresham, a certified divorce financial analyst, or CDFA, and Jennifer Champagne, a mental health professional and a past president of the council. Thank you all for being with us today on the podcast. Thank you. Let's um, let's begin, first of all, with a question about the Connecticut Council for Non-Adversarial Divorce. What is it? Mike? Well, thank you. The Connecticut Council for Non-Adversarial Divorce is a statewide nonprofit professional organization of Connecticut mediators, collaborative professionals, and attorneys. Um, and uh, our mission here is to promote peaceful and respectful divorce processes throughout Connecticut. Uh, these, uh, all of the um, professionals involved are trained. They go through rig- rigorous trainings and um, have a, a commitment to try to uh, guide people through a process which is very difficult and to um, make it with dignity and, and give them an, a great opportunity to try to resolve their issues uh, amicably without having to go through the process or the trauma of litigation. Uh, we've been doing this about over 20 years, I would say, and uh, the professionals that we do have are highly motivated individuals, and our organization is very strong in the state of Connecticut. So let me follow up, Jennifer, ask, ask you, um, non-adversarial divorce. Um, why does that matter versus the traditional court process? The reason that the word non-adversarial matters is because as families are looking to move forward separately, especially when they have children involved, the idea of a non-adversarial divorce is to be forward-looking and moving in a matter that is going to be productive for not only the individual parents, but for the children and the whole family. Um, Because divorce and separation simply restructures a family, it doesn't sever it. And so when we approach it in a non-adversarial manner, we're doing so in a very forward-looking preservation type manner. So Lisa, as a a certified uh, divorce financial analyst, you've probably seen what can happen to a family's finances in the divorce process. This non-adversarial process, how, how might it change those family finances? Um, That's a really good question, Tim. And it changes it um, in a way where you're you're using the different professionals who have expertise in their field to really focus on the three different parts of a divorce, the legal, emotional, and the financial aspects. So it's a much more uh, cost-efficient way for uh, for families to divorce, not only in a in a more civil and respectful way, but also in a in a uh, a better way from a financial standpoint. So, uh, we are preparing for Divorce with Respect Week, which is really about a a respectful process, non adversarial process, um, and in particular, maybe talking a little bit about collaborative divorce here. Um, the collaborative divorce process 
Uh, Michael, what appealed to you as an attorney about that process? Uh, many divorce cases that they start out in litigation, a high percentage of them eventually settle for various reasons. Oftentimes, those reasons aren't good. People are fatigued, the emotional toll, uh, they lack the funds to continue to fight. Early in my career, before there was collaborative, I was trying a divorce case, entering our third or fourth day of trial, and the client moved over to me and said, just make this stop. Uh, and this is someone who was who wanted to litigate their case, but they don't really understand what that process entails. So the collaborative process starts out by asking, how can we work together rather than how can we tear each other apart? And so the process itself really appealed to me. And one other aspect of it was that it appeals to me because it mitigates the trauma to the minor children. I serve as a guardian I'd lie and unfortunately see the worst in parents. Uh, the process is designed to keep the children out and keep the parents focused on what's important to the children. I would say those are the two reasons that the process really appealed to me. Um, and, and Jennifer, what about you? What appealed to you about the, the collaborative process? Going off what Mike said, first and foremost, has to do with the family piece of it. You know, it's the conflict of parents that is so hard for children when their parents are divorcing and all these changes that they are experiencing. So to try and help support, guide and educate parents to a one home family, to a two home family, um, creates a much better situation for children as they're trying to adjust to their new circumstance. The second piece that really appeals to me with collaborative is, as Lisa talked about, there are three elements of a divorce. There's legal, there's financial, and there's the mental health children parenting piece. In the collaborative process, parents have the benefit of having the three disciplines represented and guiding them with their own level of expertise. So as a mental health person, I'm able to focus on children and adjustment and parenting plans and good, healthy co-parenting relationships. And that's what I bring to it. And then they're able to get the benefit of what the Lisas and the Mikes can bring to it based on their own disciplines. Yeah, and, and Lisa, from your standpoint, uh, what is it that you do in the collaborative process for a, a couple and a family financially? Well, my role really, uh, there are a couple of different things that I do, but I start by putting together um, a snapshot or, a, or an analysis of the family's lifestyle. So what the marital lifestyle looks like. And the reason that we start there is that it's, it's much easier to edit than it is to create, I say often. So we start with what the fam where the family is currently. And then as we start to look at different options for disentangling their finances, we're starting from a place with, with good data. And, uh, and that's really important. It's, it's probably the most laborious part of the process, but I think it's one of the most important so that the, the clients really have an idea of what is realistic and what is doable with what they have. Um, when I first started my practice in 2003, I worked primarily with um, clients who were litigating and saw so many families torn apart in ways that 
would be very difficult to repair. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to be involved in the collaborative process at, was to help these clients divorce in a more civil way, but also to give them uh, the ability to make their own decisions with the right information. So giving them knowledge, giving them uh, options and uh, all of the tools that they needed in order to make good sound decisions. A lot of the fear that people have when they're going through a divorce is a fear of the unknown. So if we can remove um, you know, some of the obstacles to that, they're more involved in coming up with solutions, they're more invested in the process, and in the end, there's a better long-term outcome because of that. One of the things that, that I've always sort of understood about the collaborative process is that um, uh, this is a decision that is owned by the couple as opposed to a judge telling people how they're going to live the rest of their lives. Um, is that accurate? A hundred percent accurate. <laughs> you know, at the end of this process, the, you know, the professionals leave and, uh, and the, and the family is left to, you know, to manage on their own. So this process, the collaborative process, as we're working through this with them really sets them up for success. Parents, they don't know what they don't know. And so as they're going to be looking down this next phase of their life and this next piece of their journey, um, Lisa talked about fear and, and the unknown. By having their thoughts, their goals, the things that are important to them, we use words like goals and interests when we do collaborative work. And so as parents are able to talk about their goals for themselves, their interests for their children, and they create their parenting plans and their co-parenting plan and their financial outlook of what it's going to look like, um, it gives them a sense of, okay, I see a little bit of what this future is going to look like. And instead of receiving a court order and a good luck handshake that has not prepared them for that next phase. They're in this next phase of being divorced. We've gotten them divorced in a traditional outcome, but we are now helping them through the collaborative process to understand what it's going to be like to be divorced. And part of what I see our job as interdisciplinary collaborative professionals is to help them with the skill set, the education, and the tools of what it is that they need for the next phase of being divorced. We give the uh, clients control. Um, with, they're the ones making decisions. The, the, the professionals are there to aid them and assist them to make those decisions. And as Jen and Lisa were saying, we're preparing them for after uh, this process is over with. We take a lesser role. The team takes a lesser role in the sense that uh, we want them to be at the forefront to make decisions because people are more likely to follow the decisions that they've made rather than those who've been imposed upon them by somebody who doesn't know who they are, you know, doing the best job that they can do, but may not be what fits them perfectly. Who knows better than them what to do with their, with their lives and with their children? So, Michael, talking a little bit about your role, you've, you've been on the litigation side. How is your role in a collaborative case different as the attorney? Oh, it's it's night and day. Uh, remember going through the training, saying 
Uh, I don't understand this. This is so foreign to me because it's such a, a paradigm shift in thinking. Uh, you, you know, the regular rules of not talking to the other side kind of go out the door and you're able to uh, speak and communicate with the other with the other party because you're trying to reach you know resolution rather than trying to be you know uh, gain an advantage. In fact, one of the things that we say in our, at the outset is that if someone makes a mistake and we see it, we bring it to their attention and say, I think you've made a mistake here. The idea really is is, is so um, different than in trial. Aha, I've caught somebody. Now I can really use that to my advantage. Whereas here, let's use it for the advantage of the of the parties who are going through this so that they have the best outcome. I think that's probably the, the biggest uh, you know, change of, of, of my thoughts and, and processes uh, being in, on the collaborative side rather than the litigation side. Uh, Jennifer, as an MHP, do you do any therapy in a collaborative case or how is your role different? That's a really good question, Tim, because the answer is no, I'm not here to be an individual therapist um, to either a client or both clients. Um, as far as my role, of course, I have my therapist hat on. And when we think of therapy in the piece of support, helping people articulate um, when they're having trouble communicating, helping people have a little bit of you can do this support type piece, um, helping people be their best person in the meeting and talk about what they need and is important to them. But my role is not to act as therapist. Um, and sometimes that is a challenging place, Tim, because clients who are struggling, this is an incredibly difficult emotional time. And sometimes parents are challenged in their ability to see me not as their personal therapist, but their neutral person who's here for the whole family and for the team. Um, when I see that parents are really struggling with that, if they're not already engaged in therapy, I'll encourage strongly for them to get their own therapist to be able to have that individual support um, rather than looking to me to try to fill what it is that they need to do elsewhere. One of the things, Lisa, that has always sort of uh, appealed to me as I hear people talk about the collaborative process uh, is that forward thinking piece and that that sometimes the, the role of the financial professional is to uh, begin to prepare budgets and uh, and see what that financial future looks like to be able to sort of overcome some of that fear. Uh, is that part of what you do? That's a big part of what I do. So after we um, put together all of the, the lifestyle analysis that I had talked about earlier, and we start getting into um, a stage of option building and looking at different scenarios based on what the clients have expressed as their primary interests and goals, then my job is to map out the, uh, the finances for those different scenarios and options so that the clients can see um, how that looks in terms of their cash flow and their net worth. And so it's really helpful when they see it on paper because one thing that they think may work for them or an interest that they have may not actually materialize from a financial standpoint. 
and seeing it in black and white brings it, you know, um, makes it more real and helps them to decide if this is something that they really want, you know, want to pursue. There are always trade-offs, compromises, and we really, you know, try to always come back to their interests and goals and those and the primary interests and goals because not all of them will always be able to be met. But if they can compromise and uh, and stay away from sacrificing, then that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing for the clients and for the family as a whole. So we're doing this podcast today in advance of Divorce with Respect Week, which is coming up March 4th through 8th. It's an opportunity for people to do a uh, consultation, a free consultation with a divorce professional uh, in Connecticut uh, who are to those of you who are participating in this. And so if somebody is is wanting to do a consultation uh, with each of you uh, in your area, what should they do to prepare for it? Or should they do anything? Uh, how should they prepare for that kind of a consultation? Well, uh, I'll say that uh, uh, one of the first things that I would do if I hadn't spoken to them is I'd refer them to our website. Uh, our website has a an excellent comparison between uh, collaborative process, litigation, and mediation so people can educate themselves. So I, I would ask them to educate themselves about the process itself because that's mainly what we'll be talking about at a, at a, at a meeting. And to come with a different mindset, to come with a be prepared to uh, take a different approach to problem solving. Um, typically, you know, you have people bring in their tax returns and their pay stubs and, you know, things like that. But that's not really where we're starting out. We're starting out with what is the mindset? How are we approaching this problem? And then we'll deal with the other things that we normally deal with. So that's how I would, uh, my recommendation to someone who wanted to start collaborative process would be. Yeah. Jennifer, someone who's doing a consultation with you, is there are there things that they should do to prepare for that consultation uh, from the standpoint of talking with someone who is a mental health professional? When parents come to see me initially and they ask that exact question, Tim, I say to them, think about the now, think about the before with their children and then start thinking ahead to how they look down the road and what it is that they want for themselves and for their children. And I find that if they can prep, at least with that piece of the conversation started in their head, it gives me a starting ground. Because during my initial talk with parents, I wanna know, tell me about your kids. What do they do? What are their interests? What are they used to? And then that allows parents to start thinking ahead as to what do they want for them? Because they're going to have to make some big decisions. They're going to have to make decisions about times that kids spend in each home. Are they going to be in the same school? All those things are the down the road conversations. But as far as that initial consult, tell me about your kids and tell me what your hopes and dreams are for your children, despite the changes that are happening in your life. And Lisa, someone who's sitting down with you in an initial consultation, how should they prepare? Well, I like to start my consultations just, just talking about the different disciplines of divorce and the options that they have to make sure that they, that they really understand what a non-adversarial process is and collaborative uh, in particular. 
and and then I'll talk about my role in in that process and ask them a lot of questions. How are they managing their finances now? Trying to get uh, a sense of their level of of knowledge and experience in managing the finances or in just you know what they what they know um, about their own finances or their spouses. And then in terms of the actual preparation uh, to begin, I, I advise people to get a, an old-fashioned three-ring binder and to start to make copies of really anything that has a number on it, a pay stub, an account statement, their credit card statements, and just put all of that in the binder and just start to collect those things. As I said in the beginning of, um, of this podcast, it's a, it's a very overwhelming process if you try to do it all at once. So, um, you know, I encourage them to do a little bit at a time to, to pay attention to what's coming in the mail, what emails they're getting, uh, and to really start to become aware of their finances if they are the ones that are not, that are not managing it. I often find that if the couple is really committed to the collaborative process and working through things in a non-adversarial way, uh, they're willing to work together and to help each other and to bring, if there's one person that has less knowledge or experience um, to, to assist them in gathering all of this data. And then, and then I work with them to, you know, to kind of bring them up to speed so they can feel confident in their abilities to, uh, to negotiate. So if someone is interested in scheduling a consultation during Divorce with Respect Week, they should go to divorcewithrespectweek.com. They can navigate to the Connecticut section and find a Connecticut professional to talk to. Thank you both or all three of you for joining us today on the Respectful Divorce Podcast. Uh, We will be putting a link to gooddivorcect.com in the show notes. Uh, This reminder that Divorce with Respect Week is March 4th through 8th. And for more information, you can go to divorcewithrespectweek.com. This is Tim Crouch reminding you that collaborative divorce is a better way to untie the knot.